Well, welcome and happy Palm Sunday. It's great to be with you this morning. How are you guys doing? You good? It's great to see a full house and to be here in the gym. I haven't been able to, to worship, uh, well, I worshiped last week here in the gym, but teaching uh, this week for the first time in here. This is, this is great. I can see you all so well. This is wonderful. Um, I'm so glad that we've got a great teaching team. Didn't uh, Pastor Diane and Pastor Tim just do a fantastic job? Um, Diane's been preaching for a long time and has so much wisdom to offer and to give, and Tim is just a great voice as well, and, and we get to be a part of developing that voice in the church. And I just want you to know, like, I, I speak most weeks here, but we have a great teaching team, and uh, Pastor Tim and Pastor Diane are a part of that, as well as Pastor Kyle, who was up here, and, and Noah, who was playing on the electric guitar, and we meet every single week to, to talk about what do we want to teach, how do we, what does our church need to hear, and uh, speaking into the different messages, and, and so we take turns at different times throughout the year, and I'm just so grateful for that team. Uh, we are making progress on, the, on our Renew um, project in the, in the worship center, and so that's still a few weeks out, but little by little, week by week, we're getting there. We'll have Easter in here next week, um, and also Good Friday coming up this week, some great times for, for worship. And I just want to remind you again, make Good Friday part of your Easter celebration. Don't go from Palm Sunday and jump right into to Easter. Let's enter through the story on Good Friday. It's always one of the most powerful times of worship that we have as a church. And we're going to walk through that story through video, through lots of worship and, and communion. And it's going to be a great evening. So be here this Friday night at 7 o'clock as this is all part of our, our Holy Week journey. And so uh, we begin Holy Week with Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday. This is the Sunday where Jesus entered Jerusalem and the people were waving palm branches. They were laying their coats down as Jesus came riding in on a colt and they hailed him as King Jesus. He was coming as king. Now, and they weren't thinking just in a metaphorical, spiritual sense. They literally thought Jesus was going to come. He was going to establish his kingdom. He was going to take the throne. And so they were excited and they were worshiping and celebrating the miracles and things that he had done. But just five days later. Five days later. How did we go from Palm Sunday to this in five days? A lot can happen in five days. A lot more can happen in seven days. <laughs> but a lot can happen in five days, and things began to change. And so we look at this, and we go, how did it all go so wrong? What happened between Palm Sunday and Good Friday? The people were scratching their heads and, and wondering, what just, what just happened here? But maybe this was part of God's plan. Maybe God already knew this, and, and, and maybe this wasn't a surprise to him. This was all part of the bigger picture, and it leaves us asking the question, which we're going to ask today and answer today, is why did Jesus have to die? We've talked about who Jesus is and that he's the son of God and that he loves us and that, you know, all the great things that we know about Jesus' teaching and, and how he came for us, but why did he have to die? Let's see what some people think about the answer to this question. Thank you. 
So why did Jesus have to die? Lots of opinions, lots of thoughts, lots of ideas around that. Why do you think Jesus had to die? Thank you for the lovely assistance here. This is, I know we don't always often, uh, also in the band today. Thank you, Matt, and thank you, Jake. Appreciate it. That, that looks good. Maybe I'll move this over here a little bit. I'll move it just a little bit more here. Um, just a little bit more there. <laughs> Does that tell you a little something about my personality? All right. So when we think about why did Jesus have to die, if we're going to answer that question, and at the center of that question is this. It's the cross, right? It's the symbol of Christianity. We have it in our worship center. We have it in the church. It's been at the heart of who we are. And we go, we answer that question, why did Jesus have to die? And we think about the cross because that was the instrument of death. It's the symbol of Christianity. It's a symbol of torture. It was a gruesome visualization that we keep in front of us. We've sanitized it. We've cleaned it. We hang, you know, like nice things over it. But the reality was this was execution, this was capital punishment. It'd be like having the electric chair today perhaps be our symbol of the faith or lethal injection. That's what this was. It was capital punishment. It was death on the cross. Why did Jesus have to die? Why did he have to endure the cross? And maybe as, as people answer that question, as you think about that, you might hear, well, Jesus died for our sins, right? Anyone? I'm not, not a trick question. <laughs> You're afraid, like, he's, he's going to trick me or something. No, did Jesus died for our sins. And you, maybe you hear that, and you've heard that a lot in your life. Or maybe you've heard others say that, but you go, what does that actually mean for me? Maybe you kind of go, I, I don't really under, even, I even understand what that, what that means, or, or, or we've heard it so many times that it's lost some of its power. And so today, I want to talk through why did Jesus have to die, and we're going to look at why the cross was so important. And when I think about the foundation of that question, why did Jesus have to die? Three words come to mind for me, and it's simply this. I'll do it with two words and a symbol. God. Uh, the heart's okay. God loves you. You came to church, and what'd you hear today? God loves you. Oh, man, I'm not happy with that heart. Let's see, that just looks, looks kind of fat around here and a little oblong and a little bit odd. I mean, God's love is, 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 is nicer than that, right? So let's do, let's do it. Is that better? All right, there we go. All right, thank you, thank you, thank you. So God, God loves you. This is at the heart of our understanding of why Jesus had to die. He loves you, and I think to grasp that is so hard for us, that, that the God of the universe, the God of all creation, he came and he died for you. He loves you that much. We try to understand, God, what, what, what does that mean? And why did Jesus have to die? Why did, if he loves us, can he just love us? Why does he, have to, why does he have to die for us? And so to understand why Jesus had to die and how, what it had to do with his love for us, we have to look back at creation. We have to go all the way back to the beginning when God created man and woman. And he created humanity. And he created us in relationship with him. He loved creation. He wanted to be in relationship with his creation. And that love was evident. And we see that goodness of God's love in our creation all around us. God's fingerprint is on us. It says we were created in the image of God. And so when we look around in our humanity and you look around at people, what do we see? We see love. We see goodness. We see generosity. We see the creativity that's all around us. People doing amazing and wonderful and beautiful things. 
And we see that fingerprint of God on creation, and it was all in relationship with God, together with him, God and his people. But what do we also know that happened in the Garden of Eden? We look back to the beginning, is that sin entered the world. And so the problem that we have here, as we begin to look at this, this whole picture, that we have this problem called sin. Congratulations, you get to come to church today, and we're going to talk about sin. Now, sin in our culture is sometimes a word, oh, that, that, that's, that, that's been washed of any kind of negativity in some ways, that, oh, it's something sinfully delicious. Have you ever eaten something that was sinfully delicious? It's almost like, oh, it's so decadent, it's so good, it's sinful. But in the Bible, sin is always sin. Sin is always a separation. Sin is always a negative thing that has taken place between God and man that has caused separation. And the Bible tells us in Romans, it says, For all have sinned. All fall short of God's glorious standard. We all have sinned. We look around the world and we see there is definitely sin around. There is definitely good and bad. Right? We see it in, in, in the goodness of people, and we see it in the badness all around us, and some evil things that we've experienced, whether it's in school shootings, whether it's in the war. We see it all around us, and we look at us, and we say, well, you know, where, where do I fit in on this? And what people often say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a good person. And overall, in general, do you think people are good people? Right? I mean, in general, people are good people, right? But we also all have sides of us that, that we don't always want to come out. And maybe you look at things, and if you had like the standard, if this is us here, and up here you have good, you know, this is good, and this is bad, and you look at people somewhere here in us, where, who would you put at the top for good? Who would you put in humanity? You would put them right at the top of humanity. Who, who would you put there? Mother Teresa is probably one that comes up with a lot of people, right? Mother Teresa, maybe Billy Graham, maybe your mom or your grandma, right? Some people, you really say, these are salt of the earth. These are really good people. Who would you put at the bottom? <laughs> right? Maybe Hitler comes to mind. Somebody like that. Maybe your boss, right? I mean, these are people that you put right down there, right? Somewhere in between there. But the reality is, where do you put yourself? We probably put ourselves somewhere in between here. And we want to say, you know, but we're good people. And God should love us whatever we're good. But what is God's standard? Is it Mother Teresa? Is it Billy Graham? What does that verse say? We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Romans says the standard is God. And no matter how good we are, we all fall short because of sin. And we don't like to admit that. We don't like to think about that. We like to just compare ourselves to others. We like to say, well, you know, I'm not that bad. And, and I've done some, you know, maybe some stuff. But, you know, God's going to love me because I'm better than some others. But sin has, has come in. And as we look at this and we think about sin, there are four consequences of sin. And in order to understand the cross, to understand God's love for us, we have to understand what these consequences of sin are. And so the first one that I want to talk about, this consequence of sin in our lives, and see if you see these in your own life, the first is this. Sin has caused pollution. Okay, and so we have the pollution of sin, and I'm just going to kind of show this here, that, that in this relationship, this pure relationship that we love with God, want with God, that sin has, has come in. And we see that in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 to 21. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, 
outbursts of anger. Ever been angry? Ever had an outburst of anger? Congratulations, you made the list, right? Selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. The Bible doesn't, doesn't kind of dance around the subject of sin. It says if there is sin, it creates pollution in our lives. It creates this, this, this thing in our heart that, that causes tension in our relationship. I just read the book Midnight uh, in Chernobyl, and you've been diving into the Chernobyl incident back from the 1980s, and there was a mini-series out called Chernobyl, and, and man, just l l reading through that and understanding the effects of radiation and the way that it was so widespread and the way that it just gets into the soil and it got into buildings and entire regions and cities had to be condemned and, and couldn't be inhabited again. I think pollution in our environment, pollution in our lives, it comes in and, and it sneaks in and we don't even see it. But the reality is there's some pollution of sin in all of us that we have that in, in our heart. And we, and we don't maybe make a big deal of it. We think, you know, we think of the big sins. But what about, you know, little lies? Cheating a little bit. You know, cutting the corner here and there. You know, it's not, not that big of a deal. Maybe just being a little selfish. Angling for our advantage in, in, in a situation. The gossip negativity, everything always gets under your skin. You're just negative about everything. Oh, is that? All these little things, they're just this pollution. It begins to affect and impact our relationship with God. And I know I see it in my own life, hurtful things I say, things that I do, thoughts that I have, that this pollution that affects that relationship. So one of the consequences of sin is the pollution of sin. The next one we have is the power of sin. We're going to have four P's, just so if you're keeping track, if you're one of those folks that wants to know how far are we going with this. This is number two of four, okay? The power of sin. Listen to this verse when we talk about the power of sin. Jesus replied, he says, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. We're just going to illustrate slave of sin with some chains that we're in bondage. Have you ever been addicted to anything? Have you ever been in sin and tried to get out of sin? It's really hard to get out of. Sin can have a hold on our lives. It can, it can keep us bound down. Maybe you don't think of sin in that way, but maybe you've had a Krispy Kreme donut before. Anyone had a Krispy Kreme donut before? I vaguely remember eating my first Krispy Kreme donut and thinking, taking a bite and going, this is really good. It's really sweet. And eating about half of it going, wow, this is like one of the richest kind of donuts I've ever had. And then eating the whole one going, oh, that was really good, but I don't feel so good. This is really sweet. And then not feeling so good. Now I'm going, I don't feel so good. So you know what will make me feel better? Another Krispy Kreme donut, <laughs> right? This is an illustration of addiction. <laughs> this is an illustration of the power of sin, the very thing that, that maybe makes us feel good a little bit, but then makes us feel really bad afterward. But in order to make us feel better, we go back to the thing that, that, that's causing the problem. And we're trapped, and Jesus says we're, we're stuck in this cycle of addiction and this slavery to sin that, that we can't help but bend down and bow down to sin, and there's no freedom found in that. Next we have the partition of sin. Partition. It creates, it creates a block. It creates a block in the relationship. Romans 6.20, uh, Isaiah 59.2. It's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. 
Our sins have cut us off from God. What does that mean? Our sins have cut us off from God. We look at God, and one thing we have to understand about God is that he is a just God. He is a holy God. And as we look at God and he sees our sin, like those two things, you can't have sin in God's presence in that way. And our sins and the things that we do, they cut us off in a relationship from God. Have you ever done something to someone that hurt them? <laughs> has someone ever done something to you that has hurt you? What happens in relationship when there's a break like that? You can't look somebody in the eye. You feel that tension. Even maybe you just walk in the room and you sense there's a tension there. You avoid them. It's a break in relationship. And that's what happens when we sin, when we go and we live our life in a way that, that is counter to God's plan, counter to what he has for us. It creates this partition. It creates this division between us and God that there is a separation there. And finally, we have the penalty of sin. There's a great price to pay for our sin. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is what? Death. The wages of sin is death. I put a little tombstone here. Rest in peace. Death. Eternal death. We're stuck in our sin. We're dead to sin without God, without his saving grace, without his mercy. We are dead. We're stuck, and there's no way to get out of that. And so we look at that, and we see this is a problem. Sin is a problem, but we, we minimize it. We avoid it in our life. We don't think it's a, it's a big deal. But it is a big deal, and we have all these consequences that flow out of that. So this is the bad news, but we don't want to come to church and have bad news, right? <laughs> we want to have some good news. So we think about the good news. There is a solution. Let's look at what the solution is. And I've got lots of scriptures for you today because I want you to understand from God's word how important and powerful this is. Romans 5, verse 8. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us when? While we were still sinners, right? The solution is Jesus. I bet you didn't expect that answer in church. <laughs> but that's what, we're, that's what we read here. But God showed his love while we were still sinners. He didn't wait for us to clean ourselves up. He didn't wait for us to get it all together, to have it all put together. He said, no, while we were sinners, he sent Jesus. And then we read in 1 Peter 2, 24, he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, we are healed. And where were those wounds suffered? They were on the cross, right? On the cross, he came and he carried our sins on that cross. By his wounds, we are healed. And so we try to understand that. We go, okay, God, what did you do there on that cross? That God, we, we hear this, this understanding that if Jesus is the Son of God, he substituted himself into that place. He took our place on the cross. That was our death. While we had rest in peace, it was our death. The cross represents our death on the cross. This is, this is us nailed to the cross, but Jesus came in our place. There's a story that was told from come, uh, back in 1941 in, in prison in, in Auschwitz, in one of the, uh, the horrible concentration camps. And a prisoner had escaped from cell block for, uh, from the cell block and, and actually escaped the camp. And the guards, you know, the sirens were going off and they never found him. And so in order to punish this prisoner who had left, they decided to punish the other prisoners to make a case to say, don't leave, otherwise this will happen to others as well. So they said that we're going to take 10 men and we're going to put them in a starvation bunker. It's a wonderful prospect, isn't it? And so they started calling out some names. 
and they came to the name of Francis, uh, Francis Gajovnicek. Francis Gajovnicek, his name was called, and when his name was called, he says, oh, my Lord, I'm married. My wife and my kids, they'll never see me again. He knew that was a death sentence. It was over. And in that moment, another voice spoke up. A little man stepped forward, a Polish man, 47 years old, wire rim glasses. He stepped forward and he said, you know what? Um, can I take his place? He said, I'm, I'm a Catholic priest. I don't have a wife. I don't have any kids. Can I die for him? His name was Maximilian Colby. And to everyone's surprise, the guard said, okay. And he went in and he took his place. And over 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 days, the other prisoners started dying. And by that day, he was still left with a few and hadn't died yet. And so they injected him with carbonic acid and he died. It was 41 years later before a crowd of 150,000 people that Pope uh, spoke. And he acknowledged Maximilian's contribution. And he talked about what had happened. And in that audience, Francis was there that many years later. And as the Pope talked about this incredible sacrifice from this man, here's what he said about his act. He said, when that priest stepped forward to give his life, that was a victory like the one won by our Lord Jesus Christ because he gave himself up. He gave himself up out of love. Francis lived to be 93 years old. And we think about that long life. And he said he went throughout his whole life continually telling the story of this man that out of great love and sacrifice gave his life for him. And so we see the beauty of the self-sacrificing love. And we see that, that it wasn't just, you know, us that was on the cross. It was Jesus who stepped in for us to die on the cross, to take our place on that very cross, to carry our guilt, to carry our shame. Isaiah 53, 6 says this, All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. The Lord laid on him the sins of us of us all. He laid on Mark Krenz's sin on Jesus. He laid on your sin and 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 your sin. I'm not going to keep saying everyone's sin. You get the point. All of our sins. Imagine that continue being laid on Jesus and not just us, all who live today, all who will live tomorrow, all who have lived in the past. We think about the incredible sacrifice that Jesus made, and we think about the, the painful death on the cross, and, 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 and that's hard to, to imagine. But the reality is many people in this world have suffered some pretty gruesome and horrifying deaths, and they're awful. And crucifixion has to rate up there as the worst of deaths. But I don't think it was just Jesus' physical pain that was so amazing as much as it was. It was the spiritual agony. It was what he was carrying the sin of all of us was laid upon him. In the Old Testament, I don't know if you've ever heard of a, the, the term scapegoat and where that came from. Have you ever heard of the term scapegoat, right? We know scapegoat. You kind of blame somebody else. Well, they literally had a goat that they would take and, and the people would come and the priests would come and they would symbolically put all the sin of the people on the goat because somebody has to pay the price for sin. And so they put the sin symbolically onto this goat, and then they would release it into the desert to die. Not very pleasant, is it? Animal cruelty. But this was the sacrifice. That was the sacrificial lamb. And lambs were sacrificed, and Jesus became that sacrificial lamb. He became the scapegoat. All the sin was placed on him. 
In John 1.29, John the Baptist is speaking. He says, look, the Lamb of God, who does what? Who takes away the sin of the world. So there's a lot more going on here than just a man dying on a cross, as painful and gruesome as it was, because it was the Son of God who gave his life on the cross. That speaks to your worth. That speaks to your value that Jesus would, would die if it was just you. That he would come, that he would do that because God loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. God loves you that much. And as we consider this love, and as we think about sin, what do we do? We still have this problem of sin. Well, what did Jesus do? What was the solution? So here's the reversal of the four Ps. The first thing we see is the penalty was paid. The penalty was paid. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. He became the offering. He never sinned, but he took it on him. He was the scapegoat. He was the sacrificial lamb, taking our place on that cross, and he paid the penalty. He paid the price for our sin. And Romans 6.23, which I mentioned earlier, for the wages of sin is death. We can't forget the second part of that verse. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Life. Right? He replaces the penalty with life, and not just life now, but life for eternity, eternal life. No longer do we have to fear death and the consequences that come from that. The price has been paid. I heard a story of, of two friends. They, uh, they went to high school together, they went to college together, and, uh, but after college, they, they really parted, parted paths in a, in a significant way. The one studied to be a lawyer, and he was actually a very successful lawyer, and, and then went on to become a judge. The other, his life went a different direction, and he entered a life of crime and embezzlement and things of that nature. And years had passed, and then one day in the courtroom, while the one friend was, uh, was, was doing his duties as judge, the person brought before him was his friend. And his friend had pled guilty to um, crimes that involved $20,000 penalty, a penalty that he couldn't afford, a crime that he couldn't afford to pay. And so this judge, this friend, felt this dilemma. He hadn't seen this friend. He had compassion on his friend. He didn't want to convict his friend. And he didn't know what to do because he is a judge, and judge serves justice. But as a friend, he also wanted to have grace and show mercy. But what do you do? in that situation. He couldn't just let him off the hook, he pleaded guilty. And so to the friend's dismay, the one that owed the fine, the judge slammed the gavel and said, guilty. And the sentence was $20,000 that he had to pay back, which the guy couldn't pay back. But he unzipped his robe, got down from the bench, got out his checkbook, and wrote a $20,000 check. This is what Christ did for us. In his justice, he still served justice. It is still true. It is still what is required, the penalty of our sin. But in his grace, he paid the penalty for our sin. And Jesus took that upon himself. But not only has this penalty been, been paid, the partition has been removed. 2 Corinthians 5.19 For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. 
He's reconciling us back to him. And the, the reversal of this is that we can have relationship with Christ. What was once broken, when it's restored, when somebody makes amends, when, we, and when Jesus did that for us, saying we can have relationship again with Christ, through Christ, with our Heavenly Father. And we think about this moment of this partition being removed when you have these, these moments in your own life where, where you feel that tension with somebody. What happens when there's forgiveness? What happens when somebody comes along? We think about the story of the prodigal son and a son that had left his father that had gone on to, to, to live a life uh, separated from him and doing his own thing and he came to his senses and when he wanted to come back to his father. Depicted here in this, in this video, you see in the sculpture this, this warm embrace this absolute, genuine love from a father to a son that, that, that when the son was trying to express his, his sorrow and asking for forgiveness, the father just embraced him. And it's that restoring of that relationship that God just says, through Jesus Christ, I want to be in relationship with you. The penalty has been paid, the partition has been removed, and the power has been broken. The power the slavery to sin. John 8, 36 says, so if the Son sets you free, you are truly free. You are truly set free. We have life. We have relationship with God. We have been set free. And some of you might say, well, how are we still set free? We're still struggling with challenges and addictions and problems. And the reality is sin is still present, but no longer are we powerless against it. The power has been broken, and through Christ, some of these things take some time. They take a lifetime for some. There are some things that God breaks the power of instantly in your life when you come to him, and yet we realize there are others that are challenges. We still live in a fallen world, but the power has been broken. We have been set free, and ultimately, it comes down to this last part, too, the pollution, right? The pollution has been removed. Jesus washes us clean. It says in 1 John 1, 8 through 9, if we claim we have no sin... We're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. We are forgiven. We are made clean. And even though we may still struggle, and even though we still have our challenges, we know because of the power and what Jesus Christ did that we can live forgiven. We can be set free. We can have a relationship with Christ. We can experience life now and for all eternity. And so why did Jesus have to die? This is why Jesus had to die. Because God loves you. And he wants to be in a relationship with you. And in order to do that, to overcome the sin in our lives, the things in our lives that keep us from living fully in Christ, Christ came to forgive us and to die for us and to give us new life. If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful to forgive them. And just as he reminds us, if any of us claims we don't have sin, we're liars. All have sinned. We all fall short, but thank God he sent us his son, Jesus Christ. And that's why we gather, and that's why we worship, and that's why we come together. And the simple response in this where Jesus, and the scripture reminds us over and over, is to, to believe it, and receive it. To believe and receive what Jesus did for you. To say, yes, God, I believe. It says in John 3, 3.36, and anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life but remains under God's angry judgment. 
but the grace of Christ is there for us to experience that. And so as we head into this week where we move into Good Friday and we remember the sacrifice that Christ made for us on the cross, why did he make that sacrifice? Why was that necessary? And while maybe this helps us understand it in our head, the place where we need to experience it is in our heart. And it comes back to saying, a God that would love us that much, that would value us that much, that he would do it if you were the only person in this world. That's why we respond in gratitude and thanksgiving and in worship and saying, thank you, Jesus, for what you did, because now I can have life. I can have a relationship with my creator. I'm set free, and I am forgiven. That is life. That is life to the fullest. This morning, we're going to end our time with communion. And as we share in communion together, it's a reminder of the sacrifice that Christ made for us on the cross. And maybe this morning, as you hear this message, as you think about your own life, have you ever received the gift of God for the forgiveness of your sins? To know that you are made free, that you are set free, that you can say, I can have relationship with God. Why not today? Why not this moment? Why not as you take communion, which reminds us of Christ's broken body for us, the bread breaking Christ's broken body, the cup, the juice reminds us of the blood that Christ spilled out for our sins. Maybe today as you take those elements in your heart, as you pray, as you confess your sins before God, and you say, God, I want to be made free. I want to receive the gift that you gave me. Maybe for the first time today, you make that commitment in a way you never have before in your heart, and you begin that relationship with Jesus, accepting what he did for you on that cross. And if you've been a believer for many years, this is our opportunity to remember and to give thanks. And so let's do that together this morning. When Jesus was with his disciples, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks. He said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. Let's do that together. And he took the cup to take and drink. It's a new covenant. It's a new day. My blood spilled out for the forgiveness of your sins. Let's give God thanks for his sacrifice. Let's pray. Father, how can we ever fully grasp the simple words, God loves you, God loves me. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you, Father, that sin no longer has to have power over us, that it no longer has to create the separation from you, God, but that we can live free and live in that freedom and live out of love. And Father, in those times where we sin, where we struggle to know that we don't have to stay there, but that you continue to make a way out for us and you will restore and renew us. Father, I pray for new life and the hope that you give. Thank you in this week that we get to celebrate you as King and as ruler and as Lord of our lives. And Father, for anyone here that does not know you or that is taking steps today, God, that they would begin this wonderful, amazing relationship with their creator, free from guilt, free from shame, knowing that life can be fully lived in the freedom of your forgiveness. 
We give you thanks for your amazing sacrifice. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.